بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respect to listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran ذَلِكَ وَمَنْ يُعَظِّمْ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ تَقْوَ الْقُلُوبِ And whosoever venerates the symbols of Allah then this is of the taqwa of the hearts. What this verse tells us this verse is actually in the context of revering respecting and venerating the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala especially in relation to the rites and rituals of Hajj since this verse is from surah al-Hajj so the verse tells us <coughs> that whoever respects and reveres in fact venerates the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then this is a, this veneration this respect arises and stems from the purity and piety and taqwa of their hearts it's not stupidity it's not silliness it's not foolish civility it's not backwardness rather the veneration and respect and reverence of the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stems from the purity and piety and taqwa of the hearts that's Allah's testimony and indeed respect is a fundamental teaching of Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us has instructed us to show respect ikram and ihtiram and ta'zim and tawqeer these are all arabic words which denote these meanings Allah has instructed us to respect and to honor not just Allah azza wa jalla himself the creator but also creation in many different ways when it comes to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have been instructed to respect allah 
to reveal Allah, but not just Allah himself. But all of those things are connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It could be anything. The people of Allah, the prophets of Allah, the friends of Allah, the books of Allah, the symbols of Allah. And that's why the verse says the symbols of Allah. And the symbol of Allah, a symbol of Allah is anything through which Allah has recognized, Allah has known, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to make a marker for himself. It could be a person. In fact, like a prophet, or a person senior of authority and knowledge and piety and religion. Or it could even be a non-human being, a non-living thing. And that's what the verse is actually about. It's from Surah Al-Hajj. And in the context of Hajj and Umrah and pilgrimage, the rites and rituals of Islam are many. And if you look at all of the things that are respected and revered in the context of pilgrimage, then indeed all of these things are inanimate objects. They aren't even living beings. But because of their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one is under a religious obligation to venerate them. For instance, the Kaaba is just a building. The Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, the black stone in the corner of the Kaaba. The well of Zamzam, the hillocks of Safa and Marwa. Allah actually says in Surah Al-Baqarah, إِنَّ الصَّفَا وَالْمَرْوَةَ مِنْ شَعَائِرِ اللَّهِ That indeed, the, indeed Safa and Marwa are both of the symbols of Allah. And that's why they form such an integral part of our Umrah and our Hajj. So the hillocks of Safa, Marwa, the well of Zimzim, the Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, the black stone in the corner of the Kaaba, the Kaaba itself, the direction of Qibla. All of these things are non-living things, and yet we are to venerate them, we are to revere them, we are to respect them. And we respect all of these, even the direction of Qibla. We've been commanded in the hadith not to spit in the direction of the Qibla. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam cautions us against spitting in the direction of the Qibla. When it comes to relieving ourselves and answering the call of nature, again we have been instructed not to, turn, not to face the Qibla or even to turn our backs to the Qibla when answering the call of nature. All of this is to respect the direction of Qibla. Qibla is just a direction and it faces the Kaaba. The Kaaba is just a cube building. And the Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, the black stone in the Kaaba, is just a stone. Just as Umar he before he did Istilam, the greeting of the Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, he stood over it, and facing the Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, he addressed it saying, O stone, I know that you are nothing but a stone. You cannot benefit or harm anyone. And if it wasn't for the fact that Rasulullah kissed you, I would not kiss you. And then having said that, Umar fell on the stone 
and smothered it with kisses. So, indeed, it's just a stone. But because of his connection with Allah Azza wa it deserves to be revered, respected, and venerated. And whoever venerates any of these things, it's better for them. It stems from the taqwa of the hearts, and respect ultimately does not diminish a person. We should never think that by respecting another individual, by showing them respect, I diminish myself, I reduce myself, I lower myself. In fact, anyone who respects another in heart and mind, or even by a practical demonstration of that respect in person, this act of respect and reverence does not diminish the individual in the least. If anything, it raises them, it honors them, it elevates them. In the eyes of the pious and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And that's why Allah again in Surah Al-Hajj prior to this verse says, and whoever venerates the prohibitions of Allah. In fact, the word prohibitions may not be the best translation here. Whoever venerates the sanctities of Allah. Then this is far better for him with his Lord. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the reason something is haram and forbidden. Originally the word haram simply meant sacred. That's why we have Al-Masjid Al-Haram, sacred house. And the reason the word prohibition becomes connected with the word haram, or the word haram means forbidden and prohibited, is that traditionally any area which was marked off by a boundary and entry into that area was forbidden because that area belonged exclusively to the emperor, the ruler, the king, or the leader, then since that was forbidden territory, it was considered sacred, inviolable. This is why we have the term forbidden as meaning haram. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set limits, then these are the limits that are set by Allah. They may be to do with prohibition of sins, but the limits and the boundaries are sacred. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And whoever venerates the sanctities of Allah, this is far better for him with his law. So whether it's to do with prohibition, but in this context, venerating, respecting and revering the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is far better for that respecting individual with Allah azza wa Respect does not diminishes, it enhances us, it helps us grow, it makes us better. So respect is a fundamental and integral teaching of religion. And we should try our utmost to instill it in ourselves as well as in our children. We want children to respect us. But children learn from not just education but example. And how can a person expect or demand respect from his or her children when that individual lacks respect themselves? 
We think that the only respect anyone should have is children for their parents. But no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made respect an obligation on everyone for different people, for different things, in different circumstances. Someone who fails to respect others, himself, cannot expect or should not expect, let alone demand that others respect him or her. In fact, there's a very famous story of one individual. Well, it's not very famous, but it's a, it's a story from one of the classical ulama. He was, he was quite learned, but he had a terrible, he had terrible manners. And he would always speak ill of people. But he was quite learned. He was intelligent and he was quite learned. So one scholar went to study with him, study a book with him. And every now and then, whenever the name of a scholar came along, he'd abuse the scholar. So he even attacked Imam Malik, he attacked many of the famous ulama. Eventually, this person who was reading the book from him spoke up harshly against him. This was after quite some time of listening to his denigration of other ulama. And then eventually, when it became too much, he spoke up and he scolded this person. And that individual became extremely angry. And he shouted back and he said, he said to him, How dare you? Do you not realize who I am? I am such and such a person. People, and then he said, and you come along and you speak to me in this manner? So he said, do you know, this is the result. This is the result of your denigration and your disparaging of the ulama of this ummah. And then he said to him, when you respect the imams, we shall respect you. When you respect the imams, we will respect you. So someone who lacks respect for others cannot expect, let alone demand, respect from anyone else. Children should indeed respect their parents, and we should instill that in them. But this respect does not come for free. Parents should act and behave in a way which instills respect in their children, not just by their words, but also by their deeds and their example. So that the children learn from their example. Harun al-Rashid, subhanAllah, Harun al-Rashid, the famous Abbasid emperor. He was the emperor of the Abbasid empire at its zenith, at the peak of its power. Powerful, renowned across the world. He actually sent one of his sons to Imam Asma'i rahmatullahi so that Imam Asma'i could teach him and nurture him. And this was the prince, the prince of the time of the Abbasid Empire. 
So one day, the Khalif Harun al-Rashid, he visited Imam Ismail whilst his son was with Imam Ismail <coughs> studying with him. And when he approached, Imam Ismail was doing wudu. And Harun al-Rashid's son, the prince of the Abbasid Empire, was pouring water on the feet of Imam Ismail. Whilst Imam Ismail was washing his feet with his hands, but the prince, the son of Harun al-Rashid, was pouring the water. So Harun al-Rashid got upset. Why do you think he got upset? Why mo why we may assume that many parents, especially someone of that position, would get upset. That he's the caliph of the Abbasid Empire at the peak and the zenith of its power. He once stared at a cloud, and in very poetic Arabic, he said, O oh cloud, rain or don't rain, rain here or rain elsewhere, it doesn't matter, for ultimately the tax of the produce of your rainfall will come back to me. That's how vast the Abbasid Empire was. And Harun al-Rashid, the famous 1001 Nights, are all based on the Abbasid Empire and the royal court at the time of Harun al-Rashid. It was a splendid empire. Now Harun al-Rashid became upset. Why do you think he became upset? We may assume because, like any other parents, like any other father, he sees his son, the prince of the Abbasid Empire, in a very servile manner, pouring water over the feet of some scholar or some teacher? No. Allahu Akbar. This was the emperor of the time. Harun al-Rashid became upset and he said to Imam Ismail, he said, I sent my son to you so that you could teach him adab and knowledge, manners and respect. Why is he only pouring water whilst you are washing your feet? He should be pouring water with one hand and washing your foot with the other hand. That was Harun al-Rashid. Parents should instill respect in their children by word as well as deed. When a father respects his father, when a father respects his parents, then children even without a word of education, by mere example, will follow in their parents' footsteps and revere them, respect them, treat them well. But the concept of respect in Islam is not limited to children for respect of children for parents. We all have to respect. We have to respect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the symbols of Allah, the religion of Allah, the people connected to Allah, the things connected to Allah. And then of creation, we have to respect those who are senior to us, senior in authority, senior in position, senior in age, senior in knowledge, senior in piety. Our language should reflect that. Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet ﷺ's own uncle, 
This was the father of his brother. So this was the brother of the Prophet father. He was his uncle. And yet he embraced Islam and followed in his, in his nephew's footsteps. After the time of the Prophet we may have been during the time, someone asked him, in Arabic, to say older, the word is Akbar. Yeah, there are other words, but one of the words is Akbar. Akbar actually doesn't mean old. It, it means, as children would say, bigger. When children in their very, very early stages, they normally don't say older. They say, I'm bigger than him, meaning I'm older. So it means, the word Akbar means bigger, and in more refined language, greater. The idea is, who's, are you greater or him, meaning are you greater in age or him? That's the word in Arabic, Akbar. So Akbar, a sinnan. So someone asked Al-Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib, the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who's greater? Not older, meaning who's greater, i.e. who's greater in age, because that's the language of Arabic. Al-Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib, being the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, could have easily said, I am. But the language, Al-Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib radiyallahu an said, He is greater than me, but I was born before him. He is greater than me, but I was born before him. Allahu Akbar. So even language, our language should reflect that respect. For those who are greater than us, in age, in position, in authority, in piety, in seniority, in any way, just as Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib, even though he was the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as uncles do treat their nephews like their own sons. But Al-Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib radiyallahu despite being the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's uncle, used such language about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who was mindful of respect even in language. And not just Al-Abbas radiyallahu anhu, all of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu. So we have been instructed to be respectful to Allah and everything connected to Allah, the Creator. And we have also been told to be respectful to the creation of Allah. Beginning with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, we worship Allah. And we must be mindful of the respect of Allah in everything. Do not take his name in vain. Do not abuse his name. Do not swear false oaths. Be, and that's the topic in itself. And then, the respect of anything and anyone connected with Allah the Creator, beginning with the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We respect the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In fact, it's an instruction, it's a command. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadheeran litu'minu billahi wa rasoolihi wa tu'azziruhu wa tuwaqqiruhu wa tusabbihuhu bukratan wa asila. Allah says indeed, O Messenger, we have sent you as a witness 
and a giver of glad tidings and a warner. So that, and then Allah addresses the creation. So that you all may believe in Allah and in his messenger. And so that you may support him, i.e. the messenger sallallahu And so that you may revere him. And so that you may glorify in him the praise of the name of Allah morning and evening. But with the Messenger وسلم, we have been commanded in this verse to believe in him, to support him, and to revere him. Tawqeer means, in fact, the word ta'zeer itself, it doesn't just mean support, it means support with respect. Assist with reverence. And with the waqbiru, Allah repeats it, and so that you may revere him. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum and the whole ummah has been told not just to love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, not just to follow in his footsteps, but to revere him. People sometimes follow a leader. But they speak ill of the leader. So they respect the office, but not the person. So they respect the office of leadership. But they do not respect the individual. But with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we have been commanded, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were commanded, not just to respect the office of prophethood, not just to respect him as a leader, but to love him, respect him, and revere him as an individual, as a person, as he was. And indeed the Sahaba radiallahu anhum did revere him. They respected him. Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu one of the young leaders of the Quraysh who embraced Islam only after many years of hijrah. Until then, he was one of the most vocal opponents of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once he embraced, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith from him who says, there was no one who was more greater and more revered in my eyes than the Prophet ﷺ. To the extent that I would never look at him directly and fill my eyes with his sight out of respect and reverence for him. And if you were to ask me to describe him, i.e. in his later years, I would not be able to do so because I never looked at him properly out of reverence and respect. And that was Amr ibn al-As Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu anhu who passed away in the fifth year of Hijrah after the campaign of the trench. Ibn Quraidah requested that he be an arbitrator and a judge. And they said we would be happy with the judgment and the decision of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu anhu. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam agreed. The Prophet ﷺ told him that you be the judge, you arbitrate. And since he was wounded, the Prophet ﷺ commanded the Sahaba عنه, to bring him. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh came, injured, wounded, bleeding from his arm. 
and the Sahaba brought him. Since he was going to be the arbitrator, the Prophet commanded the Sahaba he actually said, ila sayyidikum, rise to your master. The Sahaba anhum stood up to receive Sa'd ibn Mu'adh respect. Then Sa'd ibn Mu'adh was made the hakam, the arbitrator and judge between them. On the one side was the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a leader of the Muslims. On the other were the leaders of Banu Quraidah. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh now in, the, in a position as a judge, he has to be impartial. And everyone is equal before him. And even by Arab convention, they accepted that. But look at the manner in which he behaved. He turned to the leaders of Banu Quraidah and said to them, will you abide by my decision? You have made me the arbitrator and the judge. Will you respect and abide by my decision? They said yes. Then he had to do the same for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What reminded me of this is what Amr ibn As radiyallahu said, that I never looked at him fully. So Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu then turned, but not in the direction of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He faced ahead and looking down. And he simply signaled with his hand, looking down, and he said, Will you also respect my decision? He did not look at him. He did not stretch his hand out to him. The Sahaba could not look at the Prophet Even Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi attested to this. We learned in the commentary of the treaty, the hadith of the treaty of Hudaybiyah, Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi was a non-Muslim at the time. He was from Taif but resident amongst the, what well, he had spent time with the Meccans and he was respected by them. He was a senior diplomat. Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi went to visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when they were camped at Hudaybiyah. When he returned, he said to the Quraysh, he said, Oh Quraysh, I went to visit Muhammad in his camp, by Allah. He does not spit without his companions rushing forth to try and catch his spit, and they jostle between themselves to catch his spit. And when they do, they rub their hands, arms, and their faces with the spit of Muhammad. When he speaks, they rush. When he instructs, they rush to fulfill his command and instruction. When he speaks, they all remain silent. Immediately, they fall silent. And they do not even look at him fully in the face by filling their eyes with his appearance. Even Urut ibn Mas'ud attested to that, that the Sahaba عنهم, would not stare at the Prophet out of reverence for him. And he continues, Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, I said he was a diplomat. He said, oh, he said, oh, assembly of the Quraysh, I have been to the royal courts of Rome, 
of Persia and of Abyssinia. But by Allah, I have never seen a people revere their king as much as I have seen the companions of Muhammad revere Muhammad. Sahaba radiallahu anhu truly fulfill the command of revering the Prophet وسلم, as he should be revered. The old, the young, the men, the women, even the wives of the Prophet not only in his life, but even after his death. Sahl ibn Sa'd al-Ansari radiyallahu Listen to this very carefully. It may be very relevant, even for this moment. Sahl ibn Sa'd al-Ansari radiyallahu was a companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was once relating hadith of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, who was speaking about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to his own people where he lived. Some of them, whilst he was speaking about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, were looking at each other and talking to each other. So he became angry, extremely angry. And he said, I speak to you about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you turn to each other, by Allah, I will leave you and never return to you again. He actually came to the conclusion, and he got up and he left. And not just left the gathering. He told them, I will leave you, never to return to your company again. He left his place of abode, and he went away. He felt that those who could not respect the Messenger وسلم, were not worthy of being lived amongst. And he was a companion of Rasulullah. That's how the Sahaba عنهم, were. And there are countless stories of the reverence of the Sahaba عنهم, for Rasulullah, men, women, children, young and old, even the wives of the Messenger. They were his wives. But they treated him not just as a husband, but as the messenger of Allah. And at times when the Prophet وسلم, when there was a danger, they felt there was a danger that the Prophet would be displeased with them, or Allah would be displeased with them. They would actually say, we seek refuge, we seek protection from the anger of Allah and His Messenger The wives of the Prophet they had him as a husband, but they treated him not just as a husband, but as a messenger of Allah. Throughout their lives and even after, their, after his passing away, they would collect his perspiration, his sweat, and store it in bottles to use as perfume. And these were the wives of the Prophet So the Sahaba revered the Prophet as he should be revered. So we have been commanded to respect Allah, to respect the Noble Messenger Surah Al-Hujarat. The beginning verses are all about respecting the Messenger of Allah. 
يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله واتقوا الله ان الله سميع عليم او believers do not place yourselves before Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and be wary of Allah Allah is all hearing all knowing يا ايها الذين امنوا لا ترفعوا اصواتكم فوق صوت النبي ولا تجهروا له بالقول كجهر بعضكم لبعض O believers, do not raise your voices over and above the voice of the Prophet And do not speak to him loudly as you speak loudly to one another, lest your deeds perish without you even realizing. Indeed, those who lower their voices before the Messenger of Allah these are the ones whom Allah's heart, whom Allah, whose hearts Allah has purified and tested for taqwa. The same thing as I mentioned earlier. Whoever venerates the symbols of Allah, then this is from the taqwa of the heart. Here again, Allah says, those who lower their voices before the messenger of Allah, then these are the ones whose hearts Allah has tested for taqwa. Reverence and respect arise from the purity and piety of a person's heart. The Sahaba anhu were told not even to speak loudly, nor to call out to him and address him as they would address one another. Do not make the call to the messenger like you make the call to one another. Address him with the most appropriate titles. And this was unique for the Arabs. The Arabs would not address anyone by titles. To them, even the leader of the tribe would always be mentioned with the kunya. Never with titles. So that was unique. But when it came to the Prophet Allah says to them, do not make the address to the messenger as you would address one another. Address him with respect. And that's why the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, except for the Bedouin who just used to come and say, Ya Muhammad, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum would address him with noble, honorable titles. Often prefacing their speech with the words, Fidaka abi wa ummi ya Rasulullah, may my parents be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. And about speaking to him loudly. After the revelation of these verses, Umar and despite his bellowing voice, he would speak so softly to the Prophet that the Prophet had to ask him to repeat himself. That was Umar. And Abu Bakr after the revelation of these verses said, O Messenger of Allah, I swear by Allah, from now on I will only speak to you in whisper. As a whispering person. Even though these were his father's-in-law, Abu Bakr and Umar The reverence of the Prophet shown by the Sahaba is a topic in itself. But we have been commanded to do the same. But it's not just respect for Allah and respect for the Messenger Anything connected to Allah and his Rasul The Qur'an, respecting the Qur'an. وَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنُ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنْصِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ When the Qur'an is recited, then listen to it attentively and fall silent in the hope that you may receive mercy. 
one should revere the Qur'an, reciting it. If one is not reciting it oneself, listening to it attentively and remaining silent. That is part of the respect of the Qur'an. Respecting not just the words, but even the book, anything connected to the Qur'an because it's connected to Allah, even the book itself. And sadly, the book, even the copy of the Qur'an, the Mus'haf, should be respected. It should not be treated like any other book. And sadly, some consider this to be an innovation or something cultural, that respecting the book, the copy, the Mus'haf of the Qur'an is an innovation, it's a reprehensible innovation. It's something introduced into Islam later. It's cultural, ignorant, backward people, they do this. But the learned don't. No. Subhanallah. Imam Bayhaqi, Imam Darimi both relate from about Ikrimat ibn Abi Jahl, radiyallahu anhu. He was a companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the son of Abu Jahl, Ikrimah. Since they were all distant relatives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in the eighth year of Hijrah when Mecca was conquered, Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl, and Safwan, the son of Umayyad ibn Khalaf, two chief and key opponents of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when they, were both, when they were both killed in the Battle of Badr, Abu Jahl's leadership passed on to his son Ikrimah. And Umayyad ibn Khalaf's leadership passed on to his son Safwan. So even though these two were young, they became the preeminent leaders of their entire clan and tribe. And one of the council of leaders of the Quraysh. So Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl, and Safwan, the son of Umayyah. They, remain, they remained opposed to the Messenger until the eighth year of Hijrah when Makkah was conquered. When Makkah was conquered, they both fled. Safwan, the son of Umayyah, and Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl. But the Prophet despite everything in his compassion, in his mercy, he sent after them, actually requesting them to come back. And that he would honor them if they came back. And indeed he did honor them. Because they were distant relatives. Safwan embraced. Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl embraced. And after Ikrimah radiyallahu an embraced, he, he remained a sincere and committed and true believer. So Imam Darmi, an Imam, Bayhaqi, they both relate about Ikrimah radiyallahu The son of Abu Jahl, he would take the Qur'an and he would place it on his face and he would weep profusely. And he would say, Kitab Rabbi, Kitab Rabbi. The book of my Lord, the book of my Lord. He would do this regularly. He'd pick up the Mus'haf, the Qur'an, the copy, place it on his face and begin weeping 
repeating the words, Kitabu Rabbi, Kitabu Rabbi, the book of my Lord, the book of my Lord. The Qur'an, not just the words, but the book itself deserves respect. And what, this is the example of Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl, radiyallahu an Ikrimah. But listen to the following hadith. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Imam Abu Dawood relates a hadith in his sunnah from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar that the Prophet went to visit the Jews in Medina in their midras, their place of study, which is midras in Hebrew is midrash. It's a place of study. The madrasa, midras, similar to madrasa. So the Prophet ﷺ went to the midras of the Jew, the Jewish community in Medina, one of the midrases of the Jewish community in Medina. When he visited them there, they actually honored him by placing, inviting him to sit down and they placed a cushion for him to sit down. So the Prophet ﷺ sat down on the cushion. He then, they, this was in relation, they had asked him for his ruling about a matter in their community. This was why he went. They had approached him and asked him for a ruling about a matter in their community. So the Prophet ﷺ visited them in the Midraj. When he arrived there, they honored him because they had requested the meeting. And they placed a cushion on which he sat down. He then asked them, since they were asking him for his opinion and judgment, he said to them, bring me your Torah, the Torah, bring me your Torah. So they brought the Torah in the form of a book. The Prophet wasallam. this is a hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. It's an authentic hadith in the Sunan of Abu Dawood. The Prophet wasallam removed the cushion from beneath himself, sat down on the earth, and he took the Torah and he placed it on the cushion. And then looking at the Torah, he said, That I have believed in you and in the one who has sent you down, revealed you. The thing of note here is that the Prophet ﷺ respected the Torah. A non-Muslim, non-Islamic, non-Qur'anic book. He respected the Torah and he placed it on a pillar, on a cushion. That was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If he could do that with the Torah, why can we not respect the words of the Qur'an and the Mus'haf itself? This is just the example of, one example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, an example of Ikrimah radiyallahu anhu. And they are countless examples. So respecting not just Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa but anything connected to them. The Qur'an, the words of the Qur'an, the book of the Qur'an, the copy of the Qur'an, the Mus'haf, all of these deserve reverence and respect. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks of revering the symbols of Allah, as I said at the beginning, this is in relation to Hajj and the rites and rituals of Hajj. 
When he says in Surah Al-Hajj, ذَلِكَ وَمَنْ يُعَذِّمْ حُرُمَاتِ اللَّهِ فَهُوَ خَيْرُ اللَّهُ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ And whoever reveres the hurumat, the sanctities of Allah, then this is far better for him with his Lord. And then in the other verse, again of Surah Al-Hajj, ذَلِكَ وَمَنْ يُعَذِّمْ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ تَقْوَى الْقُلُوبِ And whoever reveres and venerates the symbols of Allah, then this is from the taqwa of the heart. Both of these verses are actually in relation to the symbols of Allah in Hajj. We are speaking about simple things like the sacrificial animals. Again in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah says, وَالْبُدْنَ جَعَلْنَاهَا لَكُمْ مِنْ شَعَائِرِ اللَّهِ And the sacrificial animals, we have made them symbols of Allah for you. We have made them of the symbols of Allah for you. They deserve respect. So the cows that would be driven to Mecca in order to be sacrificed and slaughtered after the pilgrimage. These cows, these animals, even they, these camels, even they deserve to be respected. Because they are the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tuhillu sha'air Allah. O oh, believers, do not profane, do not profane the symbols of Allah. Any of the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not show any profanity in relation to them. Do not profane them. They are sacrosanct. Revere them. Honor them. And then Allah continues. Ya amanu la tuhillu sha'air Allah. O oh, believers, do not profane the symbols of Allah. Wala shahr al-haram. And nor the sacred month. وَلَلْهَدِي And nor the sacrificial animal وَلَلْقَلَائِدِ And nor the garlands وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْتِ الْحَرَامِ يَبْدَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَرِضْوَانًا And nor even those who head for the house of Allah seeking the bounty and the pleasure of their Lord. Meaning, not just the animals, but the sacrificial animals would be marked by garlands. And they wouldn't just be flowers because flowers would not survive for that long through a desert journey. But the garlands would be of different types. So anything that would be hung around the necks of these sacrificial animals was regarded as a garland. A qilada. Plural qalaid as Allah mentions here. And what would be the garlands? Bark. The bark of trees. Wood taken from trees with a string. Old, old dry leaves strung on a string. Old flowers, even sandals. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ took an old pair of sandals and used them as a garland over one of the sacrificial animals of Rasulullah. Allah, by the text of the Quran, says that do not profane, rather honor. Even the garlands around the necks of these sacrificial animals. All of these are the symbols of Allah. And these, all three of these verses, which I recited earlier on. All three of these verses are from Surah Al-Hajj because it's all in the context of Hajj. And when it comes to the symbols of Allah in Hajj, that's what we're talking about. The Kaaba, the Al-Hajr Al-Aswad, the hills of Safa and Marwa, the garlands 
the sacrificial animals, all of these deserve to be respected. Because they are the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Moving on to the creation of Allah. Allah has commanded us to show respect. We are to respect those who are older than us, greater than us, in authority, in piety, in seniority. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sunan from Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says one day an old man, a shaykh, the words of the hadith are shaykh, meaning an old man, he came to meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when he came, the companions, in their eagerness to remain seated with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they delayed making space, they delayed parting and making space for him. So the old man remained standing for longer than he should have. So the words of the hadith are, an old man came to visit the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the companions delayed parting creating a path for him. So the Prophet ﷺ said, He is not one of us who does not show compassion to our young and respect to our elders. He is not one of us. And in a hadith related by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan, from Sayyidina Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Indeed, it is part of the veneration of Allah to respect a Muslim of old age. Meaning, respecting an elderly person means respecting Allah. Part of the honoring an old person means honoring Allah. Part of the veneration of Allah himself is to respect an elderly person. And not just an elderly person, the hadith continues. وَحَامِلِ الْقُرْآنِ and a hafiz of the Qur'an. But on the condition, the words are غَيْرِ الْغَالِي فِيهِ وَالْجَافِعًا Provided that he does not go to extremes therein and is not neglectful and heedless of the Qur'an. So someone who adheres to the practice and the teaching of the, to the practice of the Qur'an, Prophet ﷺ says, honoring them is part of honoring Allah. And in fact, in another hadith later, Imam Hakim, Imam Ahmed, Imam Tahawi and others, the same hadith of Anas ibn Malik uh, from Tirmidhi, these authors relate that the Prophet ﷺ, related from Ubadud ibn Samit the wording of the hadith is, he is not one of us. لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ لَمْ يُجِلَّ كَبِيرَنَا وَيَرْحَمْ صَغِيرَنَا وَيَعْرِفْ لِعَالِمِنَا That he is not one of us. Listen to the words. He is not one of us who does not respect our elders, show compassion and mercy to our young ones, and does not recognize our scholar. Respecting the hafiz and respecting the scholar Respecting a hafid and respecting an alim is part of the deen of Allah. This is actually a hadith and a command and instruction of none other than the Messenger of Allah. Why? Because of their 
connection with the ilm of Allah, the Qur'an of Allah. And this has been the case throughout history. We are commanded to respect our elders. And first and foremost amongst them, our parents. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala categorically says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّا وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا إِمَّا يَبْلُغَنَّ عِنْدَكَ الْكِبَرَ أَحَدُهُمَا أَوْ كِلَاهُمَا فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفٍّ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا وَاخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ الذُّلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ وَقُلْ رَبِّ ارْحَمْهُمَا كَمَا رَبَّيَانِي صَغِيرًا Allah says, and your Lord has decreed, in Surah Al-Isra, and your Lord has decreed that you do not worship anyone but him. And your Lord has decreed that you show good and kindness to the parents. So Allah places his tawheed first, and then immediately thereafter, respect and kindness to one's parents. Further, Allah continues, if any, any one of the two parents, or even both of them, should reach old age with you, then do not even say uff to them. And do not rebuke them. وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا Rather, say a noble word to them. The words are beautiful. وَخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ الذُّلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ And lower the wing of humility out of compassion before them. And say, O oh my Lord, have mercy on just as they nurtured me when I was young. Why does Allah specify at the very beginning, if one of them or both of them should reach old age with you? It's because that is the most difficult time. When parents reach old age, they become infirm <coughs> physically. They lack strength and energy. They become very dependent. They can become very irritable, very irascible, very difficult of character, often stubborn. And with the onset of advanced age, they can easily begin to suffer lapses, loss of memory, dementia. Alzheimer's, all of these diseases, mental diseases, or cognitive diseases, which affect people in their old age. As a result of, and this is why people say, they become senile, and old age is regarded as second childhood. And parents can be very difficult it's not easy in that age to deal with them, to treat them, to meet their demands, to satisfy them, to even reason with them at times. Even in such testing, difficult circumstances, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not even say uff to them. Though they may be senile, though they may be harsh in, in the, with their words, Though they may be difficult, even in old age, do not say oof to them. 
And the meaning of uff is, is, is exactly that, uff. This may not be in some cultures, but in many cultures, uff is an expression of exasperation, of frustration. So some people, that's actually the most noble thing some people do, in the sense that they don't fight back, they don't argue back, they don't abuse, but the most they do is uff. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a way, one is glad that they don't do anything else. They just say, oof. The most they say or the most they do is just express their frustration and their exasperation by saying, oof. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not even say oof. Rather, even in such difficult circumstances, say a noble word to them. And lower your wing of humility. Lower, lower the wing of humility before them out of compassion. And pray for them. Reminding yourself and praying, Lo Allah have mercy on them, just as they nurtured me when I was small. And it's a role. When we were young, helpless, dependent, lacking strength, wisdom, intelligence and ability we were in their care they sacrificed their sleep their hours their health their wealth for our sake now the roles are reversed when they have reached old age the second childhood and they have become infirm they they may lack that intelligence that ability that cognition definitely that energy and that strength and when they are dependent on us, and we are in the prime of our strength, then the roles are reversed. We should do with them and for them, and be for them as they did for us and as they were for us in our childhood. It's simple. What selfishness is this? That they did everything for us, and now we discard them, we ignore them, we rebuke them. In fact, uh, I forgot to translate part of the, uh, well, elaborate on one part of the verse. And do not rebuke them. And do not rebuke them. Do not even say oof to them and do not even rebuke them. So, what justice is this? That when we were dependent, they did everything for us. And now, we discard them, we dishonor them, we disrespect them. And the concept of respecting parents in Islam is such that the hadith of that man who was blocked, one of the three who was blocked in the cave, and they said, pray to Allah with the best of your deeds. And his best deed, which he could recall was, oh Allah, I have elderly parents and every night I would feed them with a bowl of milk. What I would feed them. One day I got delayed and I came back with a bowl of milk. And I stood before them, but they had fallen asleep. And I remained standing there with that bowl of milk until they awoke. All night long. And then I gave them to drink and fed them. This is the concept of respect for parents in Islam. It's not cultural. None of these things are cultural. This is what Allah tells us to do. Respect is not part of any culture of any Muslim community from a certain part of the world. 
respect and reverence for Allah, for the people of Allah, for the symbols of Allah, for the book of Allah, for the Quran, for the Mus'haf, for knowledge, the people of knowledge, for the elderly, for one's parents, and respect in this manner is part of the religion of Islam. It's not part of any culture. So it should not be dismissed. This is what Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have taught. He is not one of us who does not show mercy to our young and does not respect our elders. And respect in word, in deed, in action. In every way. And that's with the elders, that's with parents. With those who are older than us in seniority, in authority, in knowledge. We've gathered here to learn. And we all want to learn about our religion and improve our knowledge. Gain ilm. But ilm cannot be gained without adab. Without respect. Without good, beautiful manners, ilm can never be gained. Ibn Wahab, rahmatullahi alayhi, a famous scholar who was one of the students of Imam Malik, rahmatullahi alayhi. Ibn Wahab says, We learned and we quoted and we conveyed more about adab and respect and manners from Imam Malik than we did of knowledge. Even the companion Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu, he, he, he actually advised someone, a young man, he said to him, my son, learn adab, manners and respect, before you learn ilm. Ilm. There is no concept of ilm without adab. No concept of knowledge without respect. Surah Al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us a story of Musa alayhi salam and the pious servant of Allah, Khadr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa alayhi salam, the background to the story is someone asked him in one narration, is there anyone more learned than you? Musa radiyallahu anhu, Prophet Musa alayhi salam, sorry, the Prophet Musa alayhi salam, indeed, he said that, um, and he was correct in saying so, considering that there is no one more knowledgeable than the Prophet of Allah. So he told the question that there is no one more knowledgeable than me. And in one narration, someone asked him, who is the most knowledgeable? And he said, I am. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to correct him. Because in his position as a prophet, it would have behoved him and he would have been more befitting for him to ascribe knowledge to Allah rather than to himself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show him. So Allah told him, no Musa, there is someone more knowledgeable than you. And one of our servants. So Musa alayhi salam straight away said, oh my Lord, show him, is there any way to him? So Allah said, there is. And there's that long, miraculous, eventful journey to Khadr alayhi salam mentioned in the Quran. When he arrived, and eventually met him. What did the Prophet Musa alayhi salam say to him? And he is one of the Ulul Azmi min al-Rusul, one of the five great prophets. 
Musa alayhi salam said to him, Hal attabi'uk ala an tu'allimani mimma ullimtu rushda? Qala innaka lan tastati'a ma'iyya sabra, wa kayfa tasbiru ala ma'alam tuhid bihi khubra? Qala satajiduni insha'Allahu sabirun wa la'asi laka amra. He said, may I follow you on the understanding that you will teach me of that guidance that you have been given. Khadir said to him, you will never be able to remain patient with me. And how can you remain patient over that which you do not understand fully? Musa salam said to him, Insha'Allah, you will find me patient and I will not disobey you in any matter. So Khadir salam then told him, fine, but on the condition that you do not speak to me until I speak to you first. All of this shows Musa alayhi salam humbled himself before Khadr alayhi salam in order to gain knowledge. So many lessons in all of this, just these few words. May I follow you. He humbled himself, requested permission to follow. Recognized that the other person had been given guidance and knowledge. Recognized that he would be teaching him. When Khadr alayhi salam refused, he persisted. Khadir alayhi salam told him, how can you be, pa- you won't be patient. How can you be patient? You don't fully understand. Musa alayhi salam did not respond to any of this. His only response was a humble one saying, inshallah. He didn't say, I will be patient. I will understand. How can you say, I don't, I won't understand fully. I don't understand fully. I don't comprehend. He did not defend himself. He did not respond in any negative manner. He accepted everything that was being said to him. And this was Prophet Musa alayhi salam of Allah, of, of all people. The same one who kept on telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what did your Lord give you in Mi'raj? And when he told him, Allah gave me this, is go back to Allah. Same Musa alayhi salam. Go back to Allah, go back to Allah, go back to Allah. But here, the same Musa alayhi salam who said, Rabbi arini anzur ilayk, O my Lord, show me yourself so that I may see you. Allah said, you will never see me. Look at the mountain. When Allah revealed himself to the mountain, the mountain disintegrated. Musa alayhi salam collapsed. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says of Musa alayhi salam on yawmul qiyamah, I will be the first one to be revived from the shock. And when I will awake, when I will awaken, I will find Musa alayhi salam already awake. Musa alayhi salam, despite his great position, he's humbling himself before Khadr alayhi salam, accepting everything that's being said to him. And then Khadr alayhi salam imposes conditions on him. You can't speak to me without me speaking to you first. Do not talk to me. Until I talk to you. Do not ask me anything. Khadir Musa tells him, I will not disobey you. All of this shows humility and respect. One cannot gain any knowledge or any ilm without respect. Respect comes before knowledge. In fact, I was speaking about respecting one another, even in marriage. We claim love, we claim to love our husbands, our wives, our spouses. And in many instances there is love. 
But isn't it strange? How can a person claim to love another when they don't even respect them? Respect is a basic element. You can respect someone without loving them. But how can you love someone and not respect them? Respect is part of basic human decency. So even in marriage, one should respect one's spouse, one's husband, one's wife. The Prophet ﷺ respected his wives. He did. In many ways. Even when Aisha anha was accused of a major sin, the Prophet ﷺ, when he confronted her, how did he do it? Shouting, scolding, angrily. The Prophet ﷺ sat her down, faced her, and then he began with the shahud, reading the khutbah, Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inu. And then he said, Oh Aisha, something has reached me. And he actually went to speak to her about such a sensitive issue with respect. After all, he was a messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam showed respect to his wives. How can we claim to love someone when we don't even respect them? Respect comes before many things. And even in knowledge, one cannot gain any knowledge without respect. One may gain information, but no, no true knowledge. And there's been a tradition of respect in the history of Islam between ulama, their students, students and their teachers. All the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa How were the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa How were the students of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum with them? The stories of respect between students and teachers are truly astounding. And they are consistent from the beginning of Islam till today. Consistent. Again, this is not cultural. Ulama being respected and students showing respect to the ulama is not cultural. It's part of religion and is part of religious history. I gave the example of Harun al-Rashid. Harun al-Rashid, the emperor, sent his son to Imam Ismail, rahimahullah. And when he visited him, he saw his son, the prince of the Abbasid Empire, the son of Harun al-Rashid, pouring water whilst Imam Ismail was washing his feet in wudu. So Harun al-Rashid became upset and told him that, oh, I did not send him to you, I sent him to you so that you could teach him, you could teach him adab. Why is he pouring water? On your feet, whilst you are washing your feet, you should be pouring water on your feet with one hand and washing your feet with the other. That was Harun al-Rashid. And that was when he sent his prince of a son to be taught. Imam Malik, Harun al-Rashid sent word to Imam Malik, the Abbasid emperor, saying, I wish you to relate hadith to me. Come to the palace. This is when he visited Medina, when he would visit Medina, Harun al-Rashid from Baghdad. Imam Malik, rahmatullahi, sent word to him. 
العلم لا يأتي إنما يؤتى إليه علم doesn't come علم is traveled Harun al-Rashid came to Imam Malik rahmatullahi alayhi and when he came Imam Malik rahmatullahi was leaning against the wall Harun al-Rashid the emperor of the time came and sat down next to Imam Malik leaning against the wall Imam Malik told him part of knowledge is respecting knowledge Harun al-Imam Malik remained reclining against the wall. Harun al-Rashid went around and sat in front of him like a student. That was Harun al-Rashid, the emperor. This is not of any foreign culture. This is part of Muslim, Islamic, religious culture. And not just Imam Malik. Imam Malik, rahmatullahi was... A man who carried himself with great waqar, with great dignity. He would never laugh. He would never say more than yes or no. He wouldn't read hadith. People would read hadith to him, he'd listen. He would, often the most he would say is yes, no. And people revered him. But these scholars revered their teachers. Their teachers revered their own teachers. Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, rahimahullah. He's normally regarded as a leader of the Tabi'een, the leader of the successors. He died in 94 Hijri. Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, rahimahullah. It's said of him that he lived in Medina for 40 years. He would only be found in one of two places, either his house or the masjid. In 40 years, he never visited the marketplace. That was Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib would come into Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, pray two raka'at salah. And the narrator says, once he had prayed two raka'at of salah, the sons of the muhajirun and the ansar would all gather around him. And the whole gathering would be silent. He would not speak a word. And no one would dare to ask him anything or even say a word. They all waited until he spoke first. Then they listened. And these were the sons of the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, the Muhajirun and the Ansar, because Sa'id ibn Musayyib himself was a tabi'i and a man of great scholarship and piety. They did it with their teachers, and their students honored them. This is a tradition. Ibrahim al-Nakhi, rahimahullah, was a famous tabi'i. He had seen the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and he was the great scholar of Gufa. This was Gufa in its prime when it was a capital or when it was the cultural and theological scholarly capital of Islam. Ibrahim al-Nakhi had a student, Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman. Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman would go and visit his teacher, his Shaykh Ibrahim al-Nakhi. And honor him, wait upon him, attend to his needs, run his chores. So one day Ibrahim al-Nakhi sent Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman to the marketplace to buy some meat. So he went, when he was making his way back to the house of his shaykh and teacher, Imam Ibrahim al-Nakhi, who was a tabi'i, Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman's father met him on the road. And when he saw his son carrying a basket, he actually had a basket, 
a basket of meat to his teacher, Ibrahim al-Makhai's house. He became angry because he didn't want to see his son in that state, in such a servile manner, waiting upon someone else. So in his anger, he struck the basket and it flew from Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman's hand. Hamad picked it up and went to his teacher's house. Many years later, when Ibrahim al-Nakhi passed away, the ulama of hadith, they wanted someone to be their leader and their main teacher, so they came knocking on the door of Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman. So when the father came out, they said, we don't want you, we want your son. So the father went in when he saw this great group of scholars, leading scholars, who all came to honor Imam Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman as their grand teacher. So the father went in and he said, they've come for you. And he said, now I see where that basket has taken you. Now I see where that basket has taken you. And Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman was a shaykh and the teacher of Imam Abu Hanifa Imam Abu Hanifa says, Respect. We've all heard of Imam Abu Hanifa. We may not necessarily have heard or know much about Imam Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman or Ibrahim al-Nakhi, but this was the chain. Imam Abu Hanifa's, uh, one of his most famous teachers was Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman. His shaykh and his most famous teacher was Ibrahim al-Nakhi. So Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah says, Can you believe this from Imam Abu Hanifa? A man of that position. He says, I have never stretched my legs towards the house of my teacher, Hamad, in my entire life. Even though there are seven streets between my house and his house. Respect. This is not part of any foreign culture. This is the culture of the ulama of Islam. The sahaba, the tabi'un, the tab'ut tabi'een, the tab'ul atba'a and their followers, and their successors, and their students, continuously till today. I have never stretched my legs towards the house of my teacher, Hamad, even though there are seven streets between my house and his house. Imam Abu Hanifa says, ever since my teacher Hamad passed away, I have never prayed for my parents, except that I have prayed for my teacher along with my parents, after every salah. Imam Abu Hanifa's student, Imam Abu Yusuf, rahimahullah, says that before I pray for my parents, before I pray for my parents, I have always prayed for my teacher, Imam Abu Hanifa, before I pray for my parents. And Imam Abu Hanifa says about his teacher, I have always prayed for my teacher Hamad, along with my parents, and I have always sought forgiveness on behalf of anyone who has taught me or who, from whom I have learned anything. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi alayhi, says that for 30 years I have always prayed for Imam Shafi'i and I have sought forgiveness for him, on his behalf and I have done istighfar for him. This was the, the, these are the ulama of Islam, Abu Hanifa, Abu Yusuf, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Imam Shafi'i himself says of, 
All of them did this with their own teachers. Imam Rabi ibn Sulaiman, one of the students of Imam Shafi'i, you know what he says? He says, in my entire life, I have never drank water in front of Imam Shafi'i whilst he's ever looked at me out of respect and reverence for him. This is how students were before their teachers. We're not talking about small-time students. We are talking about the alam and the imams and the grand mashayikh of Islam. These are the grand imams. Imam Sufyan al-Thawri met with Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna. Both great imams of hadith. Imam Sufyan al-Thawri from, from Kufa. Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna from Mecca. Famous from Mecca. Sufyan al-Thawri and Sufyan al-Thawri was much older. So Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, when he met up with Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Sufyan ibn Uyayna remained silent throughout, he would not speak. And this is how ulama were, when they met with those whom they regarded as being greater, they would not say a word. Respect. So Sufyan al-Thawri said to Sufyan ibn Uyayna, why don't you speak? Sufyan ibn Uyayna said, as long as you are alive, I won't. These were the ulama and the imams of Islam. This was the tradition and culture of respect and reverence. And what respect? This was to do with Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because they recognized these people as being the repositories of knowledge. They carried in their hearts and in their minds and in their beings and in their characters the teachings of Allah and the teachings of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is what led them to respect. And this is part of the respect of Islam, part of the respect of Allah, part of the veneration of the symbols of Allah, the people of Allah, the people of the knowledge of Allah. So many stories of the ulama, how they studied, how they studied hadith, and reverence and silence. Imam Sa'id ibn Musayyib, I said earlier about Imam Sa'id ibn Musayyib that the companions' children meaning their grown-up sons and would sit around him, they would never speak. Imam Sa'id ibn Musayyib actually says that you should never call a mushaf a little copy. You should never say a little mushaf, a little Qur'an. You should never say a small masjid. He actually says, sometimes we do. If you have a large Qur'an and you have a small pocket-sized one or a smaller-sized one, so what do we call you? We say small Qur'an. Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyid, this great Imam, the Tabi'i, the one who was called the leader of the Tabi'een, he actually used to say that you should never say small Qur'an or small masjid, because everything to do with Allah is great. Part of that respect. When it came to the way that they regarded these people as being the repositories of knowledge of the words of Allah, how would they learn Allah Akbar? The way they, they sat with respect, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi was once seated. He was even ill. He was reclining against the wall. Someone started speaking about one of the great Imams of Islam, Imam Ibrahim. According to one narration, Ibn Adham, and according to one narration, Ibn Tahman. But either way, he was one of the great Imams of Islam, Ibrahim, who was quite very famous and very pious. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, this great Imam, 
He was leaning against the wall. He was actually ill. When someone mentioned the name of Imam Ibrahim, rahimahullah, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal sat up. These weren't the words of the Qur'an. These weren't the words of the Hadith. And then he said, it is not befitting us that the pious are mentioned in our midst and we recline against the wall. Respect. Not only for the words of Allah, for the Hadith, but for even the ulama and the pious. Just the name and the memory of a pious person. And Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, how would they learn hadith? Allahu Akbar. One of the narrators says about Imam Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan. Imam Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan was a great imam of hadith. He actually died in the same year as Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna, 198 Hijri. I mentioned about Imam Sufyan al-Thawri. He, he was a Kufan scholar who died in 161. And Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna died in 198. And this Imam, Sa'id ibn Sa'id one of the most famous narrators of hadith and imams of hadith, he died in the same year as Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna in 198 Hijri. So Imam Yahya ibn Sa'id al one of the narrators, ulama say, that he would come into the masjid, pray Asr Salah, and after Asr, He'd go and he'd lean against the pillar. And then these great ulama would come in front of him. The likes of whom? Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Imam Shadguni, Imam Yahya ibn Ma'in, Imam Ali ibn Madini. These were just some of them. And who were these? Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, the author of Musnad ibn Hanbal, which contains over 27,000 hadith, all of which he knew by heart. The Imam of Islam, Imam Yahya ibn Ma'in, of whom Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal says, any hadith that Yahya ibn Ma'in doesn't know is not a hadith. That's Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal says about him. So that's Yahya ibn Ma'in, Ahmed ibn Hanbal himself. And another name I mentioned, Imam Ali ibn al-Madini. Who was Ali ibn al-Madini? Imam Bukhari says, مَسْتَصْغِرْتُ نَفْسِي عِنْدَ أَحَدٍ إِلَّا عَلِي ibn al-Madini وَرُوَمَا كُنْتُ أُغْرِبُ عَلَيْهِ الْحَدِيثِ That I have never considered myself humble or... Sorry, not humble. I have never considered myself small before anyone. Meaning, no one ever filled me with, me with such awe that they overwhelmed me and I lacked any confidence before them. No one ever did that because he was a genius. But he says, I have never felt small. I have never considered myself small before anyone except Imam Ali ibn al-Madini. That was Ali ibn al-Madini. So you had all these, Imam Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan would come pray Asr Salah, then go and sit leaning against a pillar. And these ulama would come. A whole group of them, just some of them were Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Yahya ibn Ma'in, Imam Ali ibn al-Madini. And you know what they would do? They would stand there, writing, listening to hadith from him, and writing. From when? All the way from after Salat al-Asr, till close to Salat al-Maghrib, standing. Yahya ibn Ma'in would be standing, Ahmad ibn Hanbal would be standing, Ali ibn al-Madini would be standing. Not once would Imam Yahya say to them, sit down, and not once would any of them request to sit down or even sit down themselves out of sheer reverence and respect for Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattah. 
And these were Ali ibn al-Madini, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Yahya ibn Ma'in. From Asr salah all the way to Maghrib, they'd be standing writing hadith and listening to hadith. I could go on. There's a whole tradition and culture of ikram, of ihtiram, of tabjeel, of ta'zeem, of tawqeer, of respect and reverence and veneration, of knowledge and the people of knowledge in Islam. And that tradition continues till today. And it should continue. This is, without adab, without respect, there will be no knowledge. Lots of information, but not ilm. Respect is integral and fundamental to our religion, to our personal religion. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us amongst those who have that ikram and ihtiram and that tawqeer, that ta'zeem, that tabjeel, that respect and reverence for Allah, for his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for Allah's books, for the Qur'an, for the people of Allah, the people of Qur'an, the people of the words of Allah, the people of the words of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for the elders amongst us, for the senior amongst us, those who are senior to us in position, in authority, in knowledge, in piety, and most importantly, may Allah make us amongst those who are dutiful, loving, caring, and respectful to their parents. May Allah make our children such. And may Allah enable us to respect and appreciate ilm and the people of ilm. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.